This year at Northside, we by now, hopefully you know, if you've heard at least a couple of sermons, that we are in a a theme called Growing in Grace. And that theme is designed to help us understand the theological principles of grace, and we're learning about that, but also the practical side of grace. And so we're learning how to do that. Uh, For June, our grace challenge uh, is, if you don't remember, to give forgiveness. And I've put that in there, and hopefully you can check yes or no on the outline, because I know that that's a blessing that you can give someone, a measure of grace, if you will, but it's not easy to do. Well, it's simple to do, but it's not easy. Now, uh, I appreciate those of you who have engaged with this and are taking it seriously and are striving to uh, pour out forgiveness to others, even when it's undeserved, even when it's not what you want to do. But we're doing it because Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. It's it's a reminder that forgiveness is forgiving. If we don't give forgiveness, uh, what what's the point? And it's not just to receive it, but to give it as well. Now, uh, I am going to be out of the pulpit for the next three Sundays, and as a part of that, uh, I wanted to go ahead and introduce early the July challenge. It's a big one, and so we'll give you a little extra time to do that. Uh, the July Grace Challenge is blessing boxes. And backpacks. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, we have a, a school that is just almost exactly two miles south of us called Pleasant Valley Elementary School. And I've been in touch and contact with them and trying to figure out a way that we as a congregation could bless that school in the coming year. And so what we've come up with are what we call blessing boxes and backpacks. You may have noticed them. As you came in this morning, they're stacked on each side. And what we're asking to do, the congregation, is um, these boxes, these crates, are going to be filled with supplies for the teachers that normally teachers have to buy out of their own pocket during the school year. And so we've done some research on that and, and uh, got a good list. And this one is for the teachers, Along with the blessing box, we're giving each teacher a backpack, which will be full of student supplies. We've got a generic list in there as well. And so how we want this to work is we would like prayer pals to work together on this. Uh, so Jace can come on up. Jace Nelson is my prayer pal. And um, so Jace and I, if we were going to work on this together, uh, here's the trick. Choose one or the other, not both, okay? I want you to be generous, but not too generous, okay? Um, so, Jace, pick one of those out. Do you want to go shopping for the student or for the teacher? Okay, for the teacher. All the teachers in here said amen. Okay, so Jace and I now are going to take this, and the ones out there have a list in there, and you're going to go shopping for that list. Now, um, the list is pretty, there's a, quite a, a few things to buy on there. So if you want to partner up, like if Jason and I wanted to partner up with another prayer pal and go and, and make a day of it, that'd be great. But it doesn't matter to me. My goal is to get all of these taken and 
all of these taken. Okay, that will provide for the teachers, and we'd really like that to be a prayer pal project. So teens, students, uh, be talking to your prayer pal and ask, uh, which one would you like to get and when can we do it? Uh, we have the entire month of July, and of course we obviously have a little left of June as well, so we have about six weeks to do this, and uh, we'd appreciate if you'd get either a blessing box for the teacher or a backpack for a student and return those here to the building in the same place you picked them up by July 29th. And then we will deliver those to the first day of school. Those The teachers, in theory, what we're planning to do is to deliver those to the classroom so that the teachers will have them and they'll be able to utilize those during the school year and they'll have an extra backpack full of supplies for kids that forget or that need something during the school year as well. We're really excited about this. Now, thank you, Jason. You may sit down. Good prayer, pal. There are several of you who are in the audience who have said, now, wait a second, buddy. I don't happen to have a prayer vow. I'm not involved in that great ministry. Well, first thing I want to tell you is you should sign up to be a prayer pal, and you're going to have that opportunity to do so in August. But there will also be a giant board out in the foyer, uh, right in the middle of the foyer, and it will have these paper Walmart and paper Amazon gift cards. If you don't have a prayer pal, but you'd like to be a part of the, the blessing teachers challenge, uh, please go and take as many of these as you want and then go buy real gift cards and return them. And you can return them to the you can just drop them in the collection plate or we have the lock boxes there at the back of the auditorium any Sunday now through the end of July. You can drop those in there. And what we'll do with those is add those gift cards to the blessing boxes for the teachers so that they can buy maybe the things we haven't thought of. Whew, man, I hope I got all those details in. Okay, if you have any questions, you can ask me, but those, the basket, the blessing baskets, the crates, and the backpacks are on both sides as you exit today, and the gift card board will be out here in the foyer, and we hope that you'll take the opportunity to uh, take part in this really cool challenge. This morning we were talking about fathers, and that is a tricky thing to do, because when I say one word, people hear different things. I want to give you an example of what I'm talking about. This morning, uh, I want you to say what's on the screen. Say this phrase with me, okay? Go ahead. Rise up lights. Now, what you thought you heard or what I told you to say was rise up lights, but you also spoke in Australian. You said rise up lights in Australia. Now, forevermore, you'll be saying rise up lights, rise up lights. That's not a rise up light. This is a rise up light. You know, (laughs) the problem is, the problem is that when I say we're going to talk about fathers or even on Mother's Day, when I talk about mothers, I've got a whole lot of people in an audience of this size that I say one thing and they hear another. I say father, and they hear hothead. I say father, they hear workaholic. I say father, they say spiritual mentor. I say father, they say a true blessing in my life. I say father, and they hear the word absent. You see the problem? I say one word, and you hear another. So Mother's Day and Father's Day are both kind of tricky to preach on, because different people hear different things depending on what your on what your own personal experience was. 
Join me this morning by turning to Luke chapter 15, because I want to talk about not just fathers, but I want to talk about the father. Now, Luke chapter 15, there's three basic stories in the uh, chapter of Luke 15. The first, we start out with the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, the story of a shepherd who left the 99 in search of the one lost sheep. The second is the story of the lost coin, a widow who had ten coins, all she had to live on. And she swept, lost one of those coins, and she swept the entire house, searched it frantically to find that one single coin. And the third one starts in chapter, uh, of chapter 15, starts in verse 11. The third story is what? The parable of what? The lost son. Some translations say we know it the story of the prodigal son. But the problem is, is that it's really not the story of a lost son. If you, if you listen to the first line of the story that Jesus told, verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. He's talking not about the oldest son who was righteous, who did everything that was right and, and who tried his hardest to earn his father's love. The, the story's not about the second son who rebelled and did everything wrong and, and tried to come back to the father and, and didn't think he was worthy of the father's love. It's really about the story of the father. Oh, I want to ask you a question here. What does the word prodigal mean? Do you know? What does the word prodigal mean? For many years, I, I thought it meant rebellious. You know, rebellious is, is what the younger son did. And you'll hear, you know, I, I went the way of the prodigal. And no, that's not what it means. Anyway, well, some of the translations have changed it over. It's the lost son. So maybe prodigal means lost. But it doesn't mean that either. No, the word Prodigal actually means recklessly extravagant, having spent everything. You see, the real prodigal in the story is not either of the sons. Oh, yes, I, I realize the younger son spent half of the inheritance. But the one who spent everything, the one who spent all he has, some would even say recklessly was the father. He spends everything on his sons. The younger rebellious son, when he came back home, remember what he got? Well, I mean, before, even before he, he left, he got an early inheritance. So he got half of that. He, he got, when he returned home and he tried to repent, the father didn't even let him get the words out of the speech that he had rehearsed. Instead, he ran to him and hugged him and embraced him. And he poured out to him what? The robe and the ring and the sandals. And, and he said, let's kill the fattened calf and have a party. And, and it is so ex, ex, uh, offensive to the modern mind because this father poured out and expent lavishly on this son who rebelled against him. The son who hated him. The son who essentially said, I wish you were dead. Just give me what you'll give me when you die and I'll be out of here. 
What kind of father pours himself out? And even to the older son, remember to the older son? Now, the older son was very indignant about this whole situation. He was very mad. And, and maybe some of you oldest children can relate to that. It's like, we're responsible. We're do what's right. And look at all the youngest ones. They get all the, yeah. The, the point is that the, the oldest son, if you read in the story, when he's out there pouting as everybody else is having a party, verse 31 My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. The father poured out himself in a reckless, extravagant way. He was, it wasn't about the prodigal son. It's really about the extravagant, reckless, inconceivable, illogical, impractical love of a father. And not just any father, but a heavenly father who always makes the right call, who always does the right thing. You see, I'm a father. I've been a a father for 13 years now. And there are times when I make the wrong call. Can I get an oh yeah from just one guy right here? There are times... When I say the wrong thing. But Tyler and Grace's Heavenly Father is not like that. This morning, and very quickly, I want to encourage fathers to be prodigals. To, to pour themselves out recklessly, extravagantly. And I'm not talking about a monetary thing. I'm not talking about getting them more, more stuff and, and more digital things. I'm not talking about all of the ways we normally. I want you to think about being recklessly extravagant toward your children and toward their children. Dads do a lot of amazing things. They teach you how to change a tire or teach you how to change the oil or teach you how to rebuild an engine. They'll teach you how to shave your beard as those Peach fuzz whiskers come in and maybe teach you how to tie a tie. Maybe they set an example of hard work and providing and doing what men do. Or maybe they teach you to mow the yard and keep the lines straight. Maybe they throw the ball with you in the backyard or maybe they coach the t-ball team. Maybe they take you fishing or hunting. And all of those things are good. But none of them are the best. And this morning I want to I encourage you to focus on what is best. There are three specific things that I want to ask you to be extremely, recklessly extravagant with. Three things. First, time. Kids spell love, and you've heard this before, L-O-V-E. They don't spell it that way. They spell it T-I-M-E. Now, we think as parents that we've got 18 years when you have that little one. You know, the, the, the blocks have little Rory. And, and in their mind, you know, I've, I've got this little one at least for 18 years. Maybe a few years beyond that, but a solid 18 years. But, but when you think about it, you really don't have that much time. If you take out just the time that they're sleeping, uh, right there you've wiped out six or seven years of the time that you have with them. When you, when you uh, apply school in there, the time when they're with other adults who are influencing and impacting their life, you take off another four or five of that 18 years. I'm, I'm, I'm pushing it all together here to, to make the point. You don't have as much time as you think you do. And all parents with grown children will say, 
Yeah. It goes faster than you think. Here's a picture of Justin and Clark Harold playing ball in the backyard. And that's important, and Clark loves playing ball. But I guarantee you what's most important to that moment is the time he's spending with his dad. Uh, let's, let's, let's get an idea of this. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Now, he's not specifically addressing fathers here. That's true. And I don't want to be dishonest with the text. But he is speaking to Christians in general. And so if you're a Christ follower and certainly if you're a father, take these words to heart from Ephesians 5 verse 15. Paul writes, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The the thing is that as a parent in this generation, I'm dealing with something that no other generation of parents prior. Now, all the ones following will have to deal with. But our generation's learning how to do this the first time. And you know what? Hold on a second. Hey, lots of you signed up for the text list. Good job. We are, we are raising an ignored generation. We are spending so much time here that we're missing out on the little time we have here. You, you, you've seen the same thing that I have. You, you go to restaurants and the family is around the table, but everyone's got their phone up. You, you go to a baseball game or, or a concert and you see everybody's recording the moment and failing to be present in the moment. I don't know, dad's at my ball game and he's got a picture or some, some video in the iCloud somewhere, but he wasn't really paying attention. Parents, we've got to learn how to master. See, I love technology. I do. I'm not against it, okay? I'm not a Luddite. I I want to have technology, and I believe the church should use technology, but there's a balance here. There's a time when you go to the restaurant, when you gather around the table, or you gather together as a family, and somebody, somebody who's wise and making the most of every opportunity should say, hey, I want everybody to take out their phones. Let's take a picture together. And then let's put that phone face down and let's spend time together because you have less time than you think. You see, with kids, the little things are really the big things. There are many times when both Tyler and Grace uh, have said to me, Dad, can I come up with you to the office? Now, if I can just give you a little inside baseball here, the preacher's Office may be one of the most, if not the most, boring places to work on planet Earth. And we don't have many people on staff. It's usually pretty quiet. And most of my week consists of doing this or typing. It's just, and I thought as a dad, what, I have to dream up these things for them to do. How can I make a day at the office exciting? And I realized... That it wasn't about what they did that was important. It was about who they were with. 
See, time is the high value commodity. Ephesians chapter 6, 4, just turn a few chapters over. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but instead bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Here's a simple rule. While you're a dad, your most important job is to raise up your children and to love your wife well. And, and we, as a part of doing that, you just need to put the phone down. I realize you won't be able to post it on Instagram. I, I realize that not everybody's going to see how great of a father you are. But maybe that's the point. Because the people that matter most are not your followers, are not your friends on social media. The people that matter most are the people in your own household. Don't miss the opportunity. Be lavish. Be recklessly extravagant in the time that you give them because you don't have a lot of it. For kids, time is a precious commodity. Now, uh, let's look at this video. You know, I kind of tested you a little bit today to kind of see how you'd react to the new you retired, but you never once complained. You know, worked hard. What's wrong? What's wrong? Tired? Yeah. Well, it's kind of fun having all this stuff. It keeps you busy, doesn't it? So, this is something here that you and I are going to do. And it's going to take a whole day to do it. Okay? So, do you want to, do you want to do it? You sure? You don't even know what it is. I know. But you want to do it? Mm-hmm. You sure? Mm-hmm. You sure? Yay! Yeah. Around, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Did I realize there's not supposed to be any crying in baseball. (laughs) But a perfect example of it's not so much what you do. It looks to me like this, this father's a farmer. I have no doubt that he's up early and home late. I have no doubt there's many times when he and his son work together. But it's an important lesson. It's not about what you're doing. It's about who you're with. As men... We talk a lot about what we do. We take pride in what we do. And we think differently and begin to begin asking, who are we with when we do what we do? The second thing to spend lots of time on is the letter L. That's love. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is patient. Love is kind. 
It does not envy, does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, and always perseveres. Love never fails. Every, every parent, from the moment you bring your child from home from the hospital or home from the adoption agency, you have that storge love for them, your, your familial love. That's one step. For 1 Corinthians 13 is agape love, which is a truer, deeper, longer lasting kind of love. And God needs to teach us how to love our children and the people in our families as He loves us. The apostle of love in 1 John 3.18 said, Dear children, children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. If you want to love your wife, you want to love your children, you have to show them, not just tell them. The last thing that I hope you'll lavish on them, not just time, not just love, but courage. May you give your children courage. In the world today, I guess kids have lots of reasons to be scared. Mainly because we as adults give them lots of reasons to be scared. But fathers should be the dispensers of courage. Uh, A well-known verse, Colossians chapter 3, verse 21 says, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Don't discourage them, but encourage them. Literally, give them courage. May your kids... See you as their hero. And I'm not asking you to be perfect. There's no perfect father except our father in heaven. But you can encourage them by doing heroic things. One, may your children never worry that you don't love their mom. May they never worry about that. May they see your love being poured out to your wife consistently and continually. Two, may they never worry that you will not be there. You only have a limited amount of time. And and finally, may they never fear that they have to earn your love. May they know that you love them when they win and when they lose. May, May they know that you love them when they've worked hard all day or when they've maybe been a little bit lazier than they should be. May they know That you love them even when they make mistakes and you think, how on earth could you do that? May they never, ever question your love. That gives them courage. May we as fathers give our children courage. I want to show you a a second video that shows a father and a son walking through a hard, difficult challenge. Let me show that. What you're looking at here is... Something called the Tough Mudder. It is basically a giant, difficult, strenuous obstacle course. And who you're seeing here is Josh Landsman and his father. Now, Josh has suffered a spinal cord injury after a pool accident. But he and his father didn't let that his injury stop them. No, they enrolled. They signed up for Tough Mudder. And the rule is with Tough Mudder that his dad can help him, but he can't help him alone. And so this is the video of Josh and his dad conquering the obstacles of the Tough Mudder event. May your children 
no matter what obstacles and difficulties and trials they face, know that you're behind them and know that there isn't anything they can't overcome. There's a song, you may have heard it on the radio, I believe it's called Reckless Love, and it's written by uh, an artist named Josh Asbury. And the words go, before I spoke a word, you were singing over me, you've been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me, you have been so, so good to me. And the chorus is what I want to focus on because it caught my attention. The chorus says, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending Reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Some people took issue with Josh's description of God being reckless. That's kind of a negative term. And and so he posted this on his blog, and, and I thought it was really good. And I wanted to share it with you this morning as we think about our Heavenly Father. Many have asked for the clarity on the phrase, reckless love. Many have wondered why I'd use such a negative word to describe a beautiful God. When I use the phrase, the reckless love of God, I'm not saying that God himself is reckless. I am, however, saying that the way he loves is in many regards quite so. What I mean is this. Our Father is utterly unconcerned with the consequences of his own actions with regard to his own safety, his own comfort, or his own well-being. His love isn't crafty or slick, cunning or shrewd. In fact, in all things considered, it's quite childlike. And might I even suggest, sometimes downright ridiculous. His love bankrupted heaven for you. His love does not consider himself first. His love isn't selfish or self-serving. He doesn't wonder what he'll gain or lose by putting himself out there. He simply gives himself away on the off chance that one of us might look back at him and offer ourselves in return. His love leaves the 99 to find the one every single time. To many practical adults, that's foolish. But what if he loses the 99 in search of the one? What if? Finding the one lost sheep will always be supremely important. His love isn't cautious. No, it's a love that sent his own son to die a gruesome death on a Roman cross. There's no plan B with the love of God. He gives his heart so completely, so preposterously, that if refused, most would consider it irreparably broken. And yet he gives himself away again and again and again and again. The recklessness of his love is seen most clearly in this. It gets him hurt over and over. Make no mistake, our sin pains his heart. And 70 times 7 is a lot of times to have your heart broken. And yet he opens up and allows us return every single time. His love saw when you hated him, when all logic said they'll reject me, he said, I don't care if it kills me. I'm laying my heart and my son on the line to get their hearts. To get this personal, this is where Josh is speaking. His love saw me, a broken down kid with regret as deep as the ocean. My innocence and youth poured out like water. 
and he found me. And he put me on his shoulders and carried me home because he's just that good. He's just that kind. He's a father that never gives up. Beautiful sentiments written by Josh. The purpose then of every father, the purpose of every father is one thing. The purpose of every father is to reflect the father. In our time, in our love, in our courage, may we pour them out on our children, on our spouse. May we show God's TLC. This morning as we wrap up, I want to tell you, I realize not everyone had a great dad. And even the best of dads are never perfect. But everyone has a prodigal father. And dads, I want to encourage you and challenge and charge you to be like the father, the prodigal father in your own life. This morning, if you have wandered away from your heavenly father, I want to invite you to return, knowing that he's not standing there just waiting for your list, wanting you to earn it. Hoping that you'll just grovel at his feet. No, he's, he's waiting. He's going to run to you and embrace you. He wants you to repent, but he wants you to come home. If you're ready to come home and you've wandered from the Father, know that he stands ready and waiting for you. May we not forget the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of the Father. If you have a need this morning, come to him. We'll be glad to have to pray with you or bring you into relationship through his son Jesus in the waters of baptism. Whatever need you might have, please come as together we stand and sing.